You're listening to the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict. One of the questions that we asked was just how much money is the half shekel? How much does it mean in practical terms? And so I put on the source sheet a table of Talmudic money quantities just to give a sense of this. A shekel is generally thought of as a 14 gram silver coin. And the weight can go up and down somewhat, maybe from 11 to 17 grams. But just for the purpose of this table, I want to hold on to the 14 grams because it relates to other measures we're going to look at. So the half shekel, obviously, if the shekel is 14, the half shekel will be seven grams. And a bit later in the Mishnah, we're going to come across the Ma'ah. Now, a Ma'ah is 0.7 of a gram. So effectively, there are going to be 10 Ma'ahs in, in a half shekel. And we're going to see that something like an exchange fee seems to be about a Ma'ah. So that's about 10% of the value of, of, the, of the half shekel. Now, a seller is two shekel, and a seller is a very common unit of, of, of money in, in the kind of a Mishnah. And for example, in Bava Ratsir, in on page 65a, the Talmud talks about the annual rent on a courtyard as being 10 seller. So in other words, 20 shekel. So a half shekel contribution is you know quite a significant contribution when measured against say the you know say a monthly rent on a courtyard of just around just under two shekels and a typical salary and this is browsing the internet so i i, I don't have a source for this it's, i can't come back to a page in the talmud but a typical salary is um a typical monthly salary seems to be about two shekel so again a half a shekel contribution, if that's about a week's wages, that's quite a significant that, that's quite a significant contribution. So it's not surprising that you know some people didn't get out of it. And the question as to who's liable is very real. And the Mishnah, picking up the Mishnah in the first chapter, in um, uh, Mishnah number five, we have Afalpishe Amru Ain Mamashkanin. Even though they don't take pledges from women or slaves or minors, and that is effectively saying women and slaves and minors are not liable to pay. If they decide to pay, it's accepted for them. Effectively, they're eligible to pay. And if they pay, the money goes into community funds and then can be drawn out to pay for offerings. But there's a but. The non-Jew, well, I think the non-Jew is obvious. The Kuti, the Kutiyas are mentioned in in two kings. The king of the, this is after the Assyrians overran the northern kingdom. They the Assyrians used to do population transfer, so they take people out of one country and put them into another after they conquered it, and. Two kings says, The king of Assyria brought people from Babylon and from Kuta. These are the Kutim. And there's, a, there's an idea in the Gemara that they converted to Jews 
but they were not completely accepted. They they were attacked. I mean, the biblical text says they were attacked by lions and they got very scared. And the Talmud thinks they converted out of fear rather than out of love. And that's why they weren't completely accepted. But so this Mishnah clearly thinks that a Kuti is not Jewish. This Mishnah clearly is not recognizing the conversion of a Kuti because it says an a Kuti, a non-Jew or a Kutian, Shisha Klu, who paid the, the shekel, is not accepted. It, it, we don't accept it from them. And we only accept very limited, well, we'll, we'll see as the Mishnah develops what kind of gifts can be accepted for non-Jews, but certainly not gifts for the mainstream sacrificial offerings. In fact, not for most sacrificial offerings. And so the Mishnah continues. And we don't accept from them bird offerings of Zavin or of Zavot. So if you have an omission, you have to bring two turtle doves when you become clean. Or women after childbirth, they bring two turtle doves. So we don't accept those offerings from them, or sin offerings, or guilt offerings. And the, and the Mishnah brings a general rule. Zehaklal. Kol she nidar venidav. Anything which can be made as a, as a vow offering or a free will offering. So you can say, for example, I promise to give such and such an offering to the, to the, to the temple. Anything that we can just make freely as a promise. Makablim miyadam. We can take that from anybody. Anybody can just freely bring a sacrifice to the temple of their own accord. And there are famous stories about, you know, there's a famous story about a Roman emperor who sends a sacrifice to the temple in Jerusalem on his behalf. So a free will sacrifice can be accepted from anybody. But if if there anything other than a free will offering we don't take and this is actually it this is a there's a verse in Ezra uh, it actually there's a verse in Ezra which documents this and he said Ezra says um, he says lo lachem You've got nothing to do with us to build a house unto our God, i.e. we're going to take on the construction cost of building the temple. Ezra's writing at the time of the return, so this must be um, 537 or so before the common era. So he's coming back from Babylon to Jerusalem and he's finding chaos by the way there's chaos there's disorder there's a lack of social organization Ezra's job is to um, create some kind of social stability and clearly one of the one of the ways he's doing this is to clarify that Jews are responsible for running the temple and that non-Jews can participate on a voluntary basis but they don't provide the core offerings now, if we've clarified now who is liable for the shekel, what about the kalbon? The kalbon is an additional fee. The elu shechayavin bakalbon. The following are liable for the kalbon, and you'll see this is the same list who are liable for the shekel by and large. Levi'im ve'Israelim ve'Gerim ve'Avadim shucharim. 
All these people, uh, Levites and Israelites and converts and freed slaves, are all liable for the Kalbon. No, but not priests or women or slaves or minors. So you'll see, looking at these categories, that the people that are obligated in the shekel are obligated in the Kalbon, and people who pay shekel voluntarily are actually not obligated in the Kalbon. What is this Kalbon? Well, the commentators disagree, actually, but it seems to be some kind of additional fee on top of the half shekel. And the Rambam says it's a it's a money exchange fee. So the of course, there's a short if everyone wants to contribute a half shekel, there's going to be a shortage of half shekels. You take along a whole shekel to a money changer. He's not going to give you two half shekels unless you give him essentially a little bit more, right? The bit that the this is not like a um, it, it's not like a modern cash economy where cert, all kinds of coins are legal tender and can be exchanged at their face value. If there's a shortage of half shekels, then two half shekels will change hands for slightly more than a whole shekel. In other words, there's a, there's a spread in it which the money lender makes. And this seems to be what the Kalbon is. And so the Mishnah then goes on to specify. So if someone pays the shekel on behalf of a priest or a woman or a slave or a Maya, he's exempt. That means exempt from the Kalbon. He doesn't have to pay the Kalbon. If a, a person pays the shekel on his own behalf and on her behalf his fellow, so he's liable for one kalbon. Although Rabbi Meir says two. And if he gave a shekel, if he gave a seller and received a shekel in change, he's going to pay two kalbons. And again, this reinforces the idea of the Rambam that this kalbon is some kind of exchange fee. If he gives a different kind of coin instead of the half shekel, then he's going to pay a fee on top of that. And the Mishnah then continues. Someone who pays the shekel on behalf of poor man. Someone who pays, this is, pays voluntarily. So someone who helps out. Someone who helps out a poor guy by paying his half shekel. So you might do that for a poor man or a neighbor or a, you know someone in your town. You're exempt from Kalbon. If he lent to them, he's liable. Why is that? Well, at that point, of course, he's the temple is really getting two half shekels. He's getting one from the, the, the neighbor or the townsman and one from the main payer. In other words, he A has lent B the half shekel to bring to the temple. And A, of course, brings both half shekels along. So he's liable for the kalbon on the extra half shekel. And the text, this, this Mishnah, uh, is a little bit 
is let's say um, is open to question but the, the version I brought here is the version from Kaufman as usual we normally stick to Kaufman if we can brothers and partners who are obligated for Kalbon are exempt from the tithe of beasts and it works the other way too. When they're liable to the tithe of beasts, they're exempt from the kalbon, from the surcharge. And now we're going to define the surcharge. It's a ma'a of kesef. That is the 0.7 grams that we looked at when we began looking at our table, when we started talking right at the beginning of this session. Divrei Rabbi Meir, the Chachamim Omrim Chetzi. Actually, the um, this is the words of Rabbi Meir, but the Chachamim say half. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict.